1: Father, thank you so much for your word. What a great word you've given to us. And Lord, plow up our hearts so that we're ready to receive it, believe it, obey it, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, now if you turn your Bibles to Genesis 38, verse 24, that's where we're going to pick up our account here. Genesis 38, verse 24, And it came to pass about three months later, or after that it was told Judah, saying, Tamar, thy daughter-in-law, hath played the harlot, and also, behold, she is with child by whoredom. And Judah said, Bring her forth, and let her be burnt. When she was brought forth, she sent to her father-in-law, saying, By the man whose these are, am I with child. And she said, Discern, I pray thee, whose are these? The signet, bracelets, of staff. Judah acknowledged them and said, she hath been more righteous than I because that I gave her not to Sheila my son. And he knew her again no more. And it came to pass in the time of her travail that behold, twins were in her womb. And it came to pass when she travailed that the one put out his hand and the midwife took and bound upon his hand a scarlet thread saying, this came out first. And it came to pass as he drew back his hand that behold, his brother came out and she said, how hast thou broken forth This breach be upon thee, therefore his name was called Phares, which means breaking forth. And afterward came out his brother that had the scarlet thread upon his hand, and his name was called Zara. Okay, now you would just keep reading as we go on to chapter 39, verse 1. And Joseph was brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him of the hands of the Ishmaelites, which had brought him down thither. And the Lord was with Joseph, and he was a prosperous man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. And Joseph found grace in his sight, and he served him, and he made him overseer over his house, and all that he had he put in his hand. And it came to pass from the time that he had made him overseer in his house, and over all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was upon all that he had in the house and in the field." And he left all that he had in Joseph's hand and he knew not aught he had save the bread which he did eat and Joseph was a goodly person and well favored. Okay now you remember that in our last study we saw this really was a shaming of Judah. It was a public shaming. It was he was publicly shamed. He was forced publicly to acknowledge that he had not kept his word. He had wronged Tamar by not letting Tamar marry Shelah as he promised. And he was he was further shamed when he was forced to acknowledge that his total lack of sexual control caused him to commit incest, father in law with the daughter in law, and he was the father of her children. This was a great public shaming of Judah to commit incest with Tamar, and he is the father there. And so, when it says in verse twenty six, and Judah acknowledged. You know, verse 26, Judah acknowledged them, the ring, the bracelets, and the staff, and said, She hath been more righteous than I, because I gave her not to Shelah, my son. And he knew her again no more. That word, acknowledged, is so critical in Judah because it's the start for Judah of his road of repentance, literally, back home. Back home to his place, back home to Canaan, and back home to God. So that's the crux word. That's the hinge word for Judah, acknowledge. That's the crux word. That's the hinge word that determines whether a person is going to be saved or lost. God is looking and waiting for every person to acknowledge that they're a sinner. He's looking for them that acknowledges what he said in Hosea 5.15 when he said, I will go and return to my place, Hosea 5.15, I will go and return to my place till they acknowledge their offense and seek my face. In their affliction, they will seek me early. So the simple truth is that no one is saved, no one finds God, no one goes to heaven, no one avoids hell unless they comply with this one word, acknowledge. Acknowledge. If a person does not acknowledge that he's a sinner that he has offended God and done wickedly, then he keeps that one-way ticket to hell. Nothing changes, he keeps it. If a a person says, you know what, I'm a pretty good person. And, And a person says, I'm actually a religious person. A person says, I do wonderful things for God. I do wonderful things for God. I cast out demons. I do many wonderful works for God. And he's never acknowledged, he's never come to where Judah was and acknowledge that he's a dirty, rotten sinner, then that person will try to get to heaven and hear the worst words that any soul can possibly hear, which is in in Matthew 7.22, when it says, the Lord said in Matthew 7.22, many, and that's the tragedy of it all, not just a few, but many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name cast out devils, and in that name done many wonderful works. And then, will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you that work iniquity. I mean, this is the worst scene that could possibly be. There's nothing worse to seen than people coming to the gates of heaven with their resumes in hand of all the good works and expecting to have heaven just open up the gates and celebrate their arrival, only to hear from God himself, I never knew you. Depart from me, you that work iniquity. I mean, how can this be? How can there be such a disconnect where people think they're going to be welcomed into heaven and that they're really good people, when in reality, they're working iniquity? What's the reason for this? What's the reason for this disconnection between what people think and what God says? Just one word, acknowledge. They never acknowledged that they were dirty, rotten sinners. Like a dear friend of mine who for years attended this church. And when I asked him, well, when was it that you knew you were a sinner? He said, sinner? What are you talking about, sinner? I'm not a sinner. What was the problem? He never acknowledged that he was a sinner, and yet he attended church for years. And there are many, many people who lie When they sing amazing grace, they lie. When they say amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. They don't believe they're a wretch. They never acknowledge that they were a wretch. And those are pretty harsh words, a wretch. And that's some pretty harsh words, dirty, rotten sinner. Not just a sinner, but a dirty, rotten one. And there must be an acknowledgement of that, of being a wretch, of being a dirty, rotten sinner before a person could be saved. And that's why God says in Hosea 5.15, Hosea 5.15, he's gonna go, God says, I'm gonna go and return to my place until they acknowledge their offense and seek my face. So what does a dirty, rotten sinner seek God's face for? He seeks God's face for his amazing grace, for his amazing mercy, for his amazing salvation. And so that word acknowledge meant everything for Judah, just as it means everything for lost sinners today, And the difference between being saved and lost, it's all tied up in that word, acknowledge. Now, Judah repents. God forgives Judah for his sin, but Tamar still got pregnant. And Tamar still got birth. She gave birth. And so this was a tremendous hurt for Judah to have to acknowledge publicly that he sinned by not keeping his word. This was a tremendous hurt for Judah to have to acknowledge publicly that he sinned in committing incest with Tamar. It was a tremendous hurt for Judah to have children be born from that incest. And it was not just a hurt of having just one child from that incest. It was a double hurt of having twins through that incest. I mean, that really hurt Judah. I mean, just think that that was the fire that burned all of the sexual problems that he had out of him, yeah? So as a matter of fact, when you look at this, it says in the end of Genesis here, it gives the lineage, the genealogies, and it just explains to us the children that Judah had. And Judah had three with this Canaanite wife that he doesn't even give her name. And two of them died, Sheila remained. And then he has this two from the Tamar, from the incest. And then there's no children after that. There's no children after that. So for the rest of Judah's life, he's had three boys with his wife. Two of them died. Sheila lives. The only other children he got are these twins there. This hurt Judah. This hurt Judah a lot. But Judah did acknowledge his sins. He was forgiven. Still, Judah had the painful consequences of this sin for the rest of his life. He had the painful consequences of forgiven sin for the rest of his life. And so what we're looking at when we look at the end of chapter 38 are the painful consequences of forgiven sin. Now, this is a warning to all of us. It's a warning to all of us that there are painful consequences of forgiven sin. Will God forgive sins? Absolutely, yes. If we acknowledge or what the Bible calls confess our sins, it says in 1 John 1, 9, 1 John 1, 9, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. It's over, it's finished. And to cleanse us from all our unrighteousness. Does sin need to be forgiven by God? (laughs) The question is, will God be faithful and just to forgive us our sins if we acknowledge or confess them to him? Absolutely. Every last sin, he will forgive. Sin makes us dirty inside. It makes us defiled. And that's a problem. And the question is, will God be faithful and just to cleanse us From all unrighteousness of our sins? Absolutely. He'll wash us to be whiter than snow. But sin also has consequences that go beyond the forgiveness and the cleansing. And that's a problem. Will God remove the painful consequences of sins that have been forgiven and that we've been cleansed of? Not always. Not always. And there's no scripture. And there's no guarantee that God will remove the painful consequences of forgiven sin. We may live with the painful consequences of forgiven sins for the rest of our lives, as Judah did, with these twins who were a constant reminder of a painful past for Judah. And the same is true with us. We may live with the painful consequences of forgiven sin for the rest of our lives, like Abraham did every time he looked at his son Ishmael like King David did when he realized that he caused the death of all those people in Israel because he sinned in numbering the people. Like David did when he looked and realized his own son raped his own daughter, and his own son murdered his children. All these are painful consequences of forgiven sin, rest of life. So Judah was forgiven, He was cleansed from his sexual sins, but he still had the painful consequences of forgiven sin. So when we read in verse 26 of Judah and Tamar, about Judah and Tamar, he never knew her again, that shows the depth of Judah's repentance. He gave up these sexual sins. He never knew Tamar again. As a matter of fact, as I was saying, it appears that Judah never knew any woman again. Anymore, because as I mentioned from Genesis forty six twelve, Genesis forty six twelve, those twins were the last two children that Judah had. Judah saw clearly that his sexual sins put him in danger of him losing the kingdom of God, as it says so clearly in First Corinthians six nine. 1 Corinthians six nine. Know you not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators nor idolaters, adulterers, effeminate, abusers of themselves, mankind, so forth, shall inherit the kingdom of God. They shall not. So he knew he was at risk of losing the kingdom of God. And so what did he do? Judah made himself a eunuch. Judah is an example of what the Lord Jesus Christ was talking about when he said that there are some that have made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of God. In Matthew 19, 12, Matthew 19, 12. For there are some eunuchs which are so born from their mother's womb. There are some eunuchs which were made eunuchs of men. And there be eunuchs which have made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. He that is able to receive it, let him receive it. That's Judah. So that's what happened. Now, we see the names of these twins in verse 29 here. Verse 29. It came to pass as he drew back his hand. Behold, his brother came out said, How hast thou broken forth this breach be upon thee? His name is called Ferus. Afterward came out his brother that had the scarlet thread upon his hand. His name is Zara. So with the birth of these twins, Tamar has now become the first in a lineup of four women mentioned in the New Testament in the lineage of the Lord Jesus Christ. She is mentioned, Tamar is mentioned, and the names of her children, both of them, are mentioned. Even though only one of the twins is actually in the lineage of the Lord Jesus Christ, both are mentioned. But the fact that both the names are mentioned shows in Matthew 1, shows an emphasis to call out these twins in Matthew 1.3. Matthew 1.3, Judas begat Pharis and Zara of Tamar. Tamar becomes the first Gentile in the lineage of the Lord. This is very unusual because Tamar is the wife, Tamar is the woman, Tamar is the mother. There are no wives, there are no mothers that are typically mentioned in a person's lineage, in the lineage of the Lord. There are no women. There are no women mentioned except for Tamar. Except for Tamar and three others. These are the only women that are mentioned in the lineage of the Lord in Matthew 1. And all of these women were Gentiles, and there was something scandalous about all of them. The first scandal was here with Tamar as these boys were the result of incest. The second mention of a Gentile in the lineage of the Lord is in Matthew 1.5, Matthew 1.5. It says, Solomon, Solomon begat Boaz of Rahab. So Rahab is the mother of Boaz, And the scandal with Rahab was that she was a harlot. She was a prostitute from Jericho that hid the spies. Then the third mention of Gentile women, of course, we've been studying that, in Matthew 1.5, Matthew 1.5, and Boaz begat Obed of Ruth, and Obed begat Jesse. And Jesse, of course, then begat David, King David. So Ruth is the grandmother of King David. And the scandal with Ruth was that she was a Moabitess, which means that she was from the people that caused Israel to commit fornication. And that brought judgment of God on Israel. All these things are sexual sins. And the fourth mention of a Gentile woman in the lineage of the Lord is in Matthew 1.6, Matthew 1.6. Jesse begat David the king, and David the king begat Solomon, of her that had been the wife of Urias. So Bathsheba is the mother of King Solomon, And, and of course, we all know the scandal surrounding Bathsheba is that she was the wife of Uriah. So King David raped Bathsheba, then murdered her husband, which resulted in the death of their child, and the sword never left David's family, as I mentioned, resulting in the rape of his daughter by his son. So these are the only four women that are mentioned in the lineage of the Lord. All Gentiles and the histories surrounding them are scandalous. How could this be? How could it be that the Savior of the world descended from Tamar, a Canaanite, with an incense-stained history between Judah and Tamar, a union like that? How could it be that the Savior of the world should descend from Rahab, who was a Canaanite from Jericho, who had been a prostitute? How could it be that the Savior of the world should descend from Ruth, whose very people were cursed for their idolatry and fornication. How could it be that the Savior of the world should descend from Bathsheba, who was a Hittite, and the union that started with her rape and the murder of her husband? How could this be? These are the only four Old Testament women all in the lineage of the Lord. All Gentiles called out specifically in Matthew in the lineage of the Lord. The lineage of the Savior of the world And their shamefulness is far from covered up. It's called out. It's called out. As we see in the case of Tamar, that the name of the other twin, Zara, who wasn't even a part of the lineage, is named out. He's called out just so we would be especially reminded of the incense that took place here that generated these twins. And in the case of Bathsheba, where it calls out Bathsheba in Matthew 1.6, it says, her that had been the wife of Uriah. So when the name of her murdered husband, Uriah, is called out, that brings right out in front of us the fact that Bathsheba was raped and forced to commit adultery, and that her husband was murdered. I mean, with such shamefulness of these backgrounds, why weren't they kept a secret from being in the lineage of the Lord? Why does the Bible go to such lengths to promote all of this by calling them out specifically, as in the lineage of the Lord. There's only one reason. There's only one reason, and that's because God wants to show us that God is the God of salvation, forgiveness, and God takes away all the guilt and the curse that rests upon that guilt by forgiving sins. And our account here with Tamar is the first account of an incestuous union between a father-in-law and a daughter-in-law, where the father-in-law thought the daughter-in-law was a prostitute. The fact that God chose for this child, Ferus, from this union, that he should be in the lineage of the Savior of the world, shows us clearly that God is not trying to forever shame Judah, but by choosing that this child should be in the Lord's lineage, it shows us just how much God loves to pardon the sinner, He loves to save from sins. He loves to remove guilt. He loves to make a new person in Jehovah Jesus. He loves all that. So why do this, why do this, bring all this out? Why to go to such lengths to call out specifically in the lineage of the Lord? By calling out this incest and the other scandals in the lineage of the Lord, he wants to show us. No one should be proud of his own righteousness. By calling out this incense and all these scandals here in the lineage, he wants to show us also no one should ever despair of being accepted by God because, there's, because of the sins that he has repented of. See, this is very important. When he calls out this incense and he calls out all these scandals, God is not trying to beat sinners over the head with a baseball bat. By calling out this incest and these other scandals, it's actually a humiliation of the Lord Jesus Christ and his lineage that is coming from this incest between Judah and Tamar and all these scandals. Just think of the grace of God and how Levi, who murdered the Shechemites, Levi should become the priest. And Judah, who commits incest with Tamar, from him should descend kings and the Messiah from that union. I mean, how is that for the grace of God? And that's that's what makes God's grace, amazing grace. All right, so, now, we saw how chapter 38 started with a downhill course with Judah, very bad. It actually started off that way in, in verse one. Judah went down from his brethren. And when you look at chapters 37 and 38 together, it's very much a downhill course. It's a very bad picture, it's a very dark picture. Chapter 37 appears is that Joseph is lost in Egypt and he'll never see him again.
0: Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330 P.O. Box 711-330 you're invited to the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California for the third annual Taste of Creation Benefit Dinner and Silent Auction. It's Saturday, June 3rd at 6.30 p.m. This benefit dinner is in support of the Light and Life Foundation Ministries that encompass the Creation and Earth History Museum, Friendship with God Radio Program, and Israel Restoration Ministries. Come experience gourmet and unique local restaurant foods, and we'll have Bible teacher Tom Cantor from the Friendship with God Radio Program speaking, along with musical performances by the De La Motte Strings. We'll have an amazing night of silent and live auction items, including tailored guitars, vacation getaways, and other exciting auction items. So if you'd like to attend this event, or if you're a local business or person that would like to donate and sponsor a product or service in support of the Creation Museum auction on Saturday, June 3rd at 6.30 p.m., then call us with your support or to reserve your seat. 619-599-1104. That's 619-599-1104 or creationsd.org. creationsd.org. CreationSD.org.